Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, here with Ken Kinsley. We're going to talk about uh, his origin story, but uh, first, thanks sponsors, Tops, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Compsy.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So thanks, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Here with Ken Kinsley, Ken's origin story. We've got a lot of mutual friends. I've seen you at shows but I don't really know your story and other people may, but I don't. So for the benefit of me or anybody else that doesn't know you, Ken, you have a, a big personality and I'm going to enjoy uh, hearing how you got into the hobby and how you hobby. I'm very excited. If, if uh, you had told eight-year-old me that I was going to be talking to Dr. Beckett someday, I'd have called you a dirty liar. That's my pleasure. If you'd have told me eight-year-old me that I was going to be Dr. Beckett, I would have called you a liar too, maybe. I don't know. Although I was always math-oriented. But welcome, Ken. How'd you get started? My start in the hobby, Christmas 1986. I was seven. My uncle, for Christmas, sent me a hand-collated 1986 top set. Wow. That's a a gift of love. It is. And it was in a binder. It was in a specific binder to which, to this day, I'm still looking for more of those binders for my collection because especially over the last couple of years, I've taken that step back from, oh, I want to make money. I want to do this to just, I want to collect and I want to have a memory. And, and that's what they do. That's where it all started. I really hadn't been that into sports, but that one Christmas gift literally has impacted so much of who I am because I don't know myself not collecting. You always hear the stories of, oh, I stopped in high school and college. I, I had slow periods. But I never stopped. I've collected nonstop since basically Christmas 1980. But there was an organized hobby at that point, And there were increasingly card shops, LCS activity and card shows in the late 80s. You're moving into the junk wax era. Were you strictly a collector? Or were you doing some dealing? Were you buying boxes, packs, trading with your neighborhood friends? Or how were you hobbying? I lived outside of town and the only other kids in my area were actually girls and none of them collected sports cards. So really the extent of mine was just collecting. It was a collector other than taking some cards to school and trading with some buddies because somebody like Mark McGuire and I wanted his Jose Canseco's. But for the most part, that was really it. There were a handful of guys in my elementary school that collected, one of which has recently come back into the hobby, actually. We talk about it because I'm in my early 40s. He's got young kids, all those kind of things. But really, I was a collector and I was an accumulator. And I've always found that interesting. I have this uh, slight envy of guys that have started recently and have these very small, dedicated, focused collections. But back then, even as a kid, you really pretty much could collect. It was still limited by how much money your parents were willing to spend on it. But my parents were always super supportive of the hobby for me. It kept me out of trouble. I made good grades. My mom in 1987, like on paydays, she would go to a local wholesaler and buy me a box of 1987 Donner's cards. And hey, I had the weekend to do that. That's making up for all the moms that threw the cards out. Your mom goes into the uh, Hall of Fame there. Yeah, she really was. And she learned enough about it. My first local card shop was actually a little community grocery store where it was another gentleman that collected cards. And he just had a tiny little thing in the back. And then, of course, he had the wax boxes up front. And she trusted him. And that's how I got my Ricky Henderson rookie that I still have to this day that if I send it to PSA, it's going to grade a one. But people talk about coffin cards. And that's one of my handful of coffin cards. I have purged most of my cards. I have very few cards from when I was a kid, but I have that one. And I have the 89 Bill Ripken error that I pulled out of a packet of card show. You, so, so, so you didn't have a discontinuity in your collecting where you came to a standstill. Was there a time that you accelerated? It was middle school or high school or college or graduate. 
Was there a time that you took it to the next level? Because you're pretty serious now. Yeah, definitely. I can't say that there was. When that probably would have happened would have been probably when I was in junior high and I was starting to work some under the table jobs and things like that, getting a little bit of cash. But it hit me recently why it seemed like I don't know as much about some of those 90s cards as some of the other people do. It's because I actually started to fall in love with starting lineups. Okay. And that became my focus for a while. People have wallpaper. My wallpaper was a couple hundred starting lineups still in the packages thumbtacked to my wall. And that was for a long time I collected those. But no, I'd say it's probably stayed pretty consistent. And as I've gotten older and gotten better jobs and make a little bit more money, have a little more disposable income, I have a collection that is more quantity than probably quality. Someone would have that's been collecting 35 years, but I am trying to shift that. Well, how are you trying to shift that? Are you still a complete set guy? Are you a player collector? Because it sounds like you have a lot of cards that you've had. Uh, Are you interested in trading? What is your strategy? Because I've seen you at the shows. Do you have a a concept for how you're doing that? I'd say mostly player collectors. The early 90s when I started collecting, I didn't know what a player collector was. It was just set collectors, but I was a player collector. Early on, I had almost every Dale Murphy card. Like I said, you could collect everything as far as all the sets, all the sports. You could conceivably get every Dale Murphy card. My uh, second favorite player after him was Will Clark. I didn't realize I was a Jeremy Roenick hockey super collector until 10, 15 years ago, because at least I didn't know of that term. Yeah, so it's mostly player, a little bit of a team. Recently, I've gotten back into some of the vintage Brown stuff from like the 40s, 50s. I like to collect stuff that kind of goes with the Indianapolis 500 and its history. I lived in Indianapolis for almost a decade, and it rekindled my love of the Indianapolis 500 race itself. But yeah, definitely not a a set collector anymore. I'm trying to move more toward quantity. My wife and I were empty nesters now. My son's off away at college. I'm looking to downsize and someday we want to move closer to the Texas coast. And we all know how heavy those monster boxes of cards can be (laughs) when you're trying to move 50 or 100 of them. (laughs) I I hear you. I I have the same problem, but do you still have the starting lineups? Because that isn't the weight as much as it's the bulk. It's definitely the bulk. So those, along with that 86 top set that I told you about, along with my 87 hand-collated tops and Donner sets were all lost when uh, my childhood home burnt down just a few weeks after I moved to Texas. I had taken so much stuff with me as I'd moved to Pittsburgh and then to Indianapolis and here, but that was the stuff that I was active with as far as buying, selling, trading. Those things were just things I was going to keep for the long term. So Unfortunately, they were there, but I want to be able to look at any card and I want it to tell me a story or it evokes a memory of when I was a kid. Okay. Yeah. That 1986 tops traded Will Clark probably can find that in most dollar bins now, but it means something to me. Anything 1987 tops. I love looking at those. Now I don't need the complete set though. I do have one for nostalgic purposes, but I don't need to have all I had as a kid. Okay. You're a storyteller. Cause I, I know that about you. I have a bunch of cards and I have stories on my cards. The math question, what's the optimal length of the story, Ken? Because I've got a wall full of cards behind me, and each card probably has a story. Is a one-minute story, a 10-minute story, surely not an hour story, but what's the sweet spot for stories when you're talking about your cards or how I should talk about my cards? I guess it just depends on how much I really want to talk that day. As I said, (laughs) I do like to talk, and it's funny you mention that. I have one of my close hobby friends that has commented on my YouTube videos that he loves how So many of my cards have a story behind them. And that's just the way I am. I'm not a flipper. Now, that doesn't mean I don't sell stuff. It just means I'm not in and out of cards. I have my core collection. I don't think there's any right answer to that because every card's going to have a different situation. Your story is going to be longer on a Roberto Clemente, likely, 
than it is on Nolan Ryan rookie because you have that connection with the Pirates and Clemente. I, I could talk cards for well, yeah, I could talk almost an eternity. Apparently, I can only talk 15 minutes at a time. So that's why I do these 15-minute episodes. But it, you, you need to tell the story and you need to give enough detail that people can see it. Are you mainly a YouTube guy? I do YouTube, though I haven't made any videos in a few weeks. I have a couple of canned up ones that I do on Thursdays that are up. But mostly, I would say I hang out more on uh, Twitter and YouTube are my main place. I'm just saying some people are more video and some people are more audio. I, I've been more audio, but it's a visual medium with the cards. It really is. You can tell plenty of stories and there are plenty of great podcasts that don't have video that are literally what we consider a normal podcast. You open it up to different things when you're doing video. You're showing cards. and Any tips for me as I contemplate how I can do some of that video? Because I've been strictly audio to this point. Are there, what lessons have you learned for me or for others who are listening about the best way to visually... I think every viewer is going to be different. So sometimes I see them and somebody sits a card down and talks about it. So it's a little more static video. Some people are flipping through cards. I, I think that you want to get that mix of everything. Not that you feel like you have to appeal to everybody, but you at least give people that want to consume it different ways the way to listen. While I say I do YouTube and I, I listen, yes, listen to YouTube while I work throughout the day. So I'm not seeing all the video, but there's also stuff where I'm like, oh, wait, I got to go back and look at that real quick because I've never seen this card before, something like that. So it's a little bit of everything, trial and error, and your audience hopefully will comment and let you know what they like. And when you go to a card show, are you like me, the opportunistic that you have some things that you're thinking about, but you just wander around and see something looks interesting. And if the price is right, you get it. Or how do you do that? Absolutely. I mean, that's a fun way to do it. I'm always going to come back with something but I can't know in advance what I'm going to get. Yeah. Focus is probably my biggest problem in the hobby itself with my collecting is I'm very unfocused. That uh, problem is an opportunity. It is. So I have some things that if I'd gone in there and said, okay, I'm looking for this autogram card, or I'm looking for this Charles Barkley card, well, I might've missed on all of this other stuff. Okay. So yeah, I have things in, in my my different collections, my different projects, they ebb and flow throughout the year. You sometimes just get bored with one or whatever. So Definitely keep it open. I definitely have some things I'm looking for, but at the end of the day, a lot of the things that I've collected or have started collecting really are legitimately scarce. And I'm not talking ultra modern numbered stuff. I'm talking a vintage pre-war type stuff. You have to be able to adapt uh, and not be too set in your ways when you go into a card show, in my opinion, at least for how I collect. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think you're a smart guy. So how much of your collecting is up in your head in terms of going to a card show are you carrying collateral materials? Are you doing lots of uh, eBay comps? Or you just have your own uh, memory of what you have, what you want, and what you ought to pay for? Or how much you ought to pay? How much are you cerebral or, or uh, carrying it around in your passion for the hobby and your understanding of what things are worth? Despite my daytime job, my real world job as a data analyst, it's probably mostly in my head. Now I have checklists and things like that. A set I've been working on for seven years it's not hard to find the 1955 Tops All-American cards, but it's not anything that I'm like, I got to get this done by the end of the year so I can move on to the next thing because I just collect it all. I have some Google Docs with some checklists, and then I have an app on my phone where I can actually check that from the show if reception is good. But yeah, most of it's in my head and prices, sometimes I'll check, but a lot of times I'm just buying low dollar stuff anyway. So if he's asking five and I can get it for four on eBay, there's something to be said about still being able to walk out of that card show, even at an extra dollar with that card in my hand. And you remember that when you look at that card. My point was you paid five instead of four, but you probably needed it. Could it be a 55 tops all American football 
that you already had that you forgot to check off? <laughs> if five bucks, if it's in nice shape, it may very well be possible. But in general, I have checklists and I don't really do a whole lot of comping while I'm in the show. I feel every minute I take away by comping a card on eBay is a minute that I don't have to look at some other cards. What a great note. Talk about a sports card insight. I, I totally agree with you, but I'm not sure that we're in the majority. It depends on the dollar amount of the cards you're looking for. If it's 4000 instead of 5000 hey, look it up. <laughs> Absolutely. But, but if there's $4 or $5, just give them $5 and maybe they'll give you a dollar back. <laughs> I've never thought about this until just listening to you say that. It's almost like the experience slash enjoyment cost of opening a box of cards. There's something to be said that I can walk out with $5 instead of spending $4 on it on eBay and having to wait seven to 14 days. Ken Kinsley, thanks for being on. I like the way you hobby. It's a little bit similar to what I do. I'll see you at the next show and best to you and your collecting endeavors. So, thanks thank so much. You. It was great to talk to you. You bet. Okay. The man-